real quick question. Sir, do you mind if I ask you a quick question? Sir. This guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. Sir, are you awake? You mind if I ask you a real quick question? It's a question about grammar. Grammar? Oh, that's not really my strong suit. Do you know how many vowels there are? A-E-I-O-U, sometimes Y. Well done. A-E-I-O-U, and sometimes Y. A-E-I-O-U. Sometimes Y? It's sometimes Y. Sir, do you mind if I ask you a quick question? Uh, I gotta get the lines. Oh, shoot, I do too. Should we eat lunch together? No, that's alright. A-E-I-O-U. A-E-I-O-N-U. O-I-A-U-E. Do you know how many vowels there are? No. Um, okay. Oh, uh, excuse me. Is Y a vowel? When it wants to be. It's a yes or no question, Dylan. No. Is it sometimes a vowel? No. It is sometimes a vowel. Yeah, sure. No, sometimes it's not. Oh, okay. Y is not a vowel. No, sometimes it can be, though. Sometimes it's a uh, consonant. Sometimes it's a continent. Consonant? It's a continent. Do you know what the consonants are? I'm not very good with the consonants. Okay. Well, there's America, uh, there's Europe, no, Russia. Who's <laughs> singing about grammar? Oh. And uh, I do. Okay. Is why about? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Good luck. Yep. Good luck to you. Uh, yes. That was Nick. He's from our video department. I'm hoping we see more videos from him. That's all I'm saying. Yes. And did you notice how hard it was to do A-E-I-O-U? And sometimes why, if you throw it out of order, you're like U-E-I-O boy. Anyways, we are continuing our series called God's Grammar. And we are looking today at the exclamation point. And uh, I want to say this. How many think we overuse the exclamation point? Especially in texting. How many know what I'm talking about? How are you? Question, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. You know? Uh, Want to do lunch? Question, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. It's like, why do we do that? I don't know why, but we're overusing it, and it's just, it, it's, it's used in the wrong way. And uh, if you do five exclamation points in a row, I think that means you're crazy. I don't know, but I just, it's overused. Don't do that. But I found this. An exclamation point, uh, Webster's defines it as a mark used especially after an interjection or exclamation to indicate forceful utterance or strong feelings, a distinctive indication of major significance. So if you just do like, see you later, it's not exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. It's the wrong use of it. And for those of you that don't know, there's actually a song that you can search on YouTube called Interjections. How many know what I'm talking about? You're old. All right. Um, <laughs> It's from 1974, you know, and it was like, it, you know, when Reginald had the flu, who, how many know what I'm talking about? That just brought it back right there. And then it goes, interjections, hey, show excitement, yow, or emotion, ouch. How many remember? <laughs> okay, we're having a moment. It's just kind of there. We're 1974. <laughs> like, wasn't even a twinkle in my mom and dad's eye. All right, all right. But that's the right time you're supposed to use it. It's supposed to show something special. And if God uses exclamation points, it must show something special. 
And they're in there. Trust me, there are lots of exclamation points or inferred, implied exclamations on the way that God is talking, and we're going to look at that. We're going to take a look to see when does God use an exclamation point in a bad way, and when does he do it in a good way? And there's so much here that I've decided to make this even two parts on the exclamation point, and today we're just going to look at the bad way. Next week, we'll look at the good, and we'll try to balance this out. But today, it's just the bad way that God uses the exclamation point. And I want to say this, um, because we do expect people to be in our church that don't know the Lord. We, we understand that. If you are investigating faith, or brought with a family member, or you're new to this, and you're trying to figure it out, you say, I haven't crossed the line of faith, I haven't done that, we're glad you're here, okay? And a lot of times, the messages are really geared towards you and helping you to understand things. But I'm gonna let you know that this is a believer's message today, okay? I'm gonna lay it down where God uses a bad exclamation where he is, is angry about something, where he's upset about something, things that cause him in anger to throw down the exclamation point. And you might think, why would a pastor preach something like this? Well, because I believe these are areas that God wants us to change, and as we change these areas, we will become closer to God. And when we're closer to God, it'll make it easier for you to find faith. And so I'm hoping that if you're exploring the faith, you'll be encouraged that a church would address these issues and call people to repent, which means to turn around, to change direction. And at the end of this service, we're actually going to have a time where all across the front of this area, many of us will come and take a knee, and we'll take the most humble form before the Lord, and we'll get on our knees and say, God, we are sorry. We, we repent for our sins, and we repent. We've been convicted by these things where you've pulled out the exclamation point. So with that being said, the first place that I see that God pulls out the exclamation point is when we're lukewarm. When we're lukewarm, God pulls it out, and actually in the text, there is an exclamation point here. In Revelation chapter 3, the Lord is speaking to the church in Laodicea, and he says this, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. There's the exclamation. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, I want to point this out to you. The church at Laodicea was not involved in amazing, terrible, gross sins. When you read that passage, it says you're, you're not hot and you're not cold. What are they? They're just there. They're just there. He doesn't say, I'm really upset with you because you're going to the wrong places. I'm really upset with you because you're doing these sins. What he says is, you've just become lukewarm. And following God should put an exclamation on our life. We should say, like, I love God. I'm passionate about God. I'm excited about God. I can't wait to do things for God. Serve God. Be in the house of God. I can't wait. We should have an exclamation. And he says, you guys have just checked the box. That's all you've done. You've just checked the box. Matter of fact, Laodicea was a wealthy banking, clothing, medical community. Get this. They were the suburbs. This is our sin for many of us. Church becomes a check the box. Check the box. What else can I do for me? How much more can I make my life comfortable? Because the church at Laodicea, if you follow along in the text, all of a sudden God says, take your money and buy things that are valuable. Use your money for things that matter. And he's saying, do the right things with your money. 
Be passionate. I have blessed you. I have given you so much, not so that you just spend it on yourself, but so that you'll leverage it for the kingdom of God. And Laodicea, their sin, just being lukewarm, underusing their gifts, squandering their time, squandering their talents, not taking what they had and multiplying it for the kingdom of God, having a great life and taking it easy. God can't stand that. You're like, well, I'm just trying to live the American dream. And he's like, I have put you in this place. I have prospered you. I have blessed you so you could be hot for me, so you could do more for me, so you could leverage this for me instead of only thinking about you and comfortable life. And if you look throughout the scriptures, in Mark 11, Jesus curses a fig tree because there were no figs on it. And I understand that was symbolic of the nation of Israel. He's saying, you've lost your mission. You're not bearing fruit. But he said, you're supposed to have fruit. He's always like, you're supposed to have fruit. You're supposed to bring forth fruit. You're not just supposed to look pretty. You're supposed to bring forth fruit. The parable of the talents, he gives one five, one two, one one. The one that turned five into ten, he says, well done. The one that turned two into four, he says, well done. The one that had one and just gave it back to him, lukewarm, didn't lose, didn't gain, did nothing. Right down the middle of the road, he said, wickedness. So for us, he says, I pull out the exclamation point on those who just coast through life, just check the box, never are stretched. You should be being stretched in your leadership, in your giving, in your serving, in every area. You should be saying, God, I want to be hot. When was the last time you invited somebody to church? When was the last time you even handed out a card inviting somebody? You just be, well, it's, about, it's a bookmark for me. I use it as a bookmark. I don't actually give those little cards out to people and invite them to church. It's just a book. I've become comfortable. God pulls out the exclamation point, and you're thinking, really, he does? Yes, he does. I met with a businessman this week, and he said, God just convicted me. He said, I've got a great living, man. I've got a comfortable life, great living. And he said, God said, I want you to increase your company. I want you to do this whole other division, and I want you to give that money to the kingdom of God. And he, I can see it's more work. It's more that he's going to have to do. He's going to lose some freedom, but he's like, I want to do more to leverage for the kingdom of God because there's somebody who says, I've been given five talents. I want to turn it into ten. God pulls out the exclamation point if we just take it easy, lukewarm. Now, he also pulls out the exclamation point on hypocrisy. If you know this, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus hammers on hypocrites, hammers them. Matter of fact, in chapter 23, we counted this, there are 13 exclamation points. That is pulling out the exclamation point, really laying it down. Matter of fact, one theologian called Matthew chapter 23 a rolling thunder of Christ's wrath. It's a serious chapter, and he can't stand hypocrisy. What does that mean? It means when you pretend, when you wear a mask, when you look good on the outside, but in the inside, you're not. Oh, you got all the moves down. You got the double hand praise going on. You got the offering fake where you put the envelope in, but there's nothing in it. You got it down. You know. You're like, look at where you're at. You got it going on, but there's nothing on the inside. You got the praise and worship, but lust is in your heart. You got praise and worship, and you're here, but all of a sudden there's anger and unforgiveness and bitterness. Oh, but you got it going. Oh, everybody thinks that's perfect, perfect, perfect. He says, I can't stand hypocrisy. Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 to 28. Let me just read a couple of them for you. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Notice the exclamation point. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, there it is again, an exclamation point. 
First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teach the law of Pharisees. You hypocrites, there it is again. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. How many know inside sins are way easier to hide? It's way easier. You just hide them there, and everybody just thinks you're great. They don't have a clue, but inside, you can have all these other things. And Jesus says, I see your heart. I see your heart. I know what's going on. And I call you on that. There are 13 exclamation points. And if you are pretending, if you are faking, if you are doing this, it's a call to repentance. And some of you need to hear this. Thankfully, we won't ask people to call out, look, what is it that you've been hypocritical in? But at the end of the service, you'll have an opportunity between you and God just to take a knee and say, God, I'm sorry. I played the game. I faked people out. But I don't want to do that. I don't want that exclamation point on my life. Another one. Pride. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We see that multiple times. We see it in Proverbs 3. We see it in James 4. We see it in 1 Peter 5. God does not like pride. And he's saying, I'm God and you're not. And when you think you're all that, that really bothers me because you're really nothing. It's actually amazing that God loves us. Let's just be really honest. It's actually, it's amazing and grace really is amazing. Because we all get in because of grace, we all need grace, we are all, even those of us that are the most righteous that are doing the greatest still needed grace. We still need it. And he's like, don't get prideful. Everything that's good in you is from me. Your ability to earn, your ability to, to have these gifts, these talents, these things, any good that comes for you and your neighbors see the good, it's all because of me. That's what God's saying. And he's saying, it's wrong for you to think you're equal to me. It's wrong for you to think I'm God and you're not. And in Job chapter 38, verses four through seven, Job is, is facing a struggle. He's lost everything. He had everything. He loses it all because Satan attacks him. And his friends and his wife and even himself, he's wondering, what's going on, God? Why? 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 And God's finally had enough of this. And in Job chapter 38, this is what God says. He says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know, exclamation point. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Or, or what were, where were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? And he's basically saying to Job, hey, Job, I'm God and you're not. And I don't like being equal to your friends. I'm way above your friends. I'm way above your wife. I'm way above you. And if you think you know it all, you're sadly mistaken. Know your proper place. When we're prideful, when we walk around and think we're all that, and we've just done so many amazing, great things, God stands against that. He pulls out the exclamation on that. He says, I oppose the proud, but I give grace to the humble. We say, well, Lord, I, I feel like, I know you say this, but I want to do this. That's prideful. Because you're saying, I'm, I know better than you. Lord, I know your word says this, but I'm going to do this. I know this, but I'm going to do this. That's pride. That's pride. And God says, I will not stand for that. I pull out my exclamation point against that. Let me just stop for just a moment here because we got a couple more that I want to get to, but I want to share this. Whenever Jesus used the word woe or whenever God uses this, an exclamation point, I want to let you know there are two sides to it, okay? The first part of woe or an exclamation point that God uses is anger. He is upset at the behavior that's going on. 
But the second side that's always connected to the woe or the exclamation point is sadness. His heart is broken. He's upset at this behavior, but his heart is broken because he wants you to get right and he knows that you were created for more. So hear that. Even though you think like, wow, this is a hard message. I can't wait till next week where you do the good ones, you know, right? <laughs> Even in the hard one, there's, there's a, a, an anger and there's a sadness. And the whole purpose of these exclamation points is not to rub your face in it, but to get you to change. His whole purpose is to say, take a knee, repent, say you're sorry, ask for forgiveness, and I will move you forward. Let's do this the right way. One thing he can't stand is disobedience. And if you look throughout the scriptures, he just cannot stand it. He cannot stand it, and he pulls out the exclamation point. In one passage, uh, God had told the Israelites, he said, I've got this land for you. It's a promised land. It's an amazing land. I want you to pick one leader from each of the 12 tribes. Go spy out the land and tell everybody how great it is. So they send the spies in there, and they see, oh, this land is amazing. Matter of fact, we just read this in our devotions not that long ago. He said, oh, the land is amazing. It's uh, so great, but there's giants there, and we can't do it. And so 10 spies come back with a negative report, two say a positive report, and those 10 spies cause a whole nation to live in disobedience. And if you don't think God pulls out the exclamation on disobedience, listen, listen to Numbers 14, verses 33 through 34. He says, your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the desert. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it's like to have me against you. That's an exclamation point. God is saying, I gave you a promise. I'm with you. I told you I'm greater than them. And you chose to disobey me. You let 10 people talk you out of the will of God. How dare you? Now I will pull out the exclamation point. So many times when people disobey, God pulled it out. When he tells Moses, speak to the rock and it'll bring forth water. And Moses gets angry and hits the rock. God's like, that's it. You lose your blessing. There's an exclamation point on you. You're done. The Israelites, they're mumbling and grumbling and complaining. He pulls out the exclamation point, and I found one in here that you just got to see. Numbers chapter 11, the Israelites were complaining, like, oh, we wish we would have died in Egypt. I can't believe we came out in the desert, and God, you pulled us out here. It's so bad. The food's so terrible, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so get that. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 18, he says, tell the people, this is God. He says, Moses, you tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat. We are better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. <laughs> How many just, I read that. I felt like a better parent right there. I was like, you will eat your food and you will not move till you eat your food. Yeah. That's an exclamation point. Don't disobey. God has it under control. His plan is better. He can't stand disobedience. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus actually pulls out an exclamation point on Peter. It's in the text. It says this, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan. There's the exclamation point. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Here's what's going on. Jesus is trying to tell them, I've got to obey God. It's going to be hard. 
It's going to be really hard, but I've got to do it. This is why I'm here. I'm going to die. I'm going to come back from the dead. And they couldn't understand it. They're like, no, 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 Jesus, you are not going to die. We are going to overthrow the Romans. You're the Messiah. We're, I don't know how we're going to do it, but maybe you'll do some miracles or stuff, but we're going to overtake them, and you are not going to die. Death is not part of the plan. The plan is for you to overthrow the Romans, and that's how we're going to conquer these guys. Now, here's why Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because in that moment, Jesus knew the cross was before him a really, really hard thing. And you've got to think that the devil is going, remember the deal I made with you? If you jump off the pinnacle of the temple, I'll give you the kingdom. We can do a shortcut here. You don't have to go to the cross. Remember the deal? Just turn the stones into bread. Remember the deal? I told you I'd give you everything right here. We could do a shortcut. We could do a shortcut. And I believe in that moment, the devil was whispering in his ear, do the shortcut. Take the deal. I'll do the deal. You'll still be good. You'll do the deal. And Jesus knew that he couldn't do the deal. He was supposed to go to the cross. And here's a good friend. Catch this. A good friend, probably one of Jesus' best friends on the earth going, Jesus, don't do it. Don't, that is not God's will. And Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. That voice has to be quiet. This is God's will. I'm going to follow God's will even if my best friends say not to. Now think about this for us. What if we're trying to talk our friends out of God's will? It's not God's will for you to move. It's not God's will for you to sell all and go to the mission field. It's not God's will for you to sacrifice a vacation this year and give to that cause. It's not God's will for that. It's not that, nope, there's goers and senders, and you're a sender. You are not a goer. No, 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 you should stay in this hobby instead of leading that life group. No, no, no. And we try to talk them out of God's will. God can't stand disobedience. Far be it from us if we're going to be somebody's friend that we would talk them out of obeying the will of God. Last one, God can't stand bad leaders. Like, whew, good, I'm not a leader. All right, good, good, all right. Can I say this? If you're part of River Valley Church and you're a Christ follower, you're a leader. Because our mission statement is leading people into an authentic, life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you know him and you're part of our church, you're here to help lead people into that authentic, life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. So you're a leader. And God can't stand it when leaders are bad. He can't stand it when we don't take care of those that are coming behind us. And he can't stand it when we help keep those that want to know him far away. The first one, Matthew 18. Jesus pulls out an exclamation point here. I believe it's implied by the text, although we don't see it actually physically present. Matthew 18, he says, And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it'd be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's an exclamation point. He says, how dare you offend these little ones and take away their innocence? How dare you not care about the young among you? And I've been to Capernaum where Jesus taught this, and the synagogue is still there. The foundation is still there. You can actually see the foundation where Jesus taught this, and there's millstones all around that area. And the Sea of Galilee is about 100 yards away from the synagogue. So I can imagine Jesus teaching, going, you better take one of those millstones right there, tie it around your neck, and go into that sea if you offend these little ones. I can feel the intensity of him saying, let's not offend the little ones. Let's not make it hard for them to follow Jesus. Let's do everything we can to make sure that we're great leaders, that when they look at us, that we're godly parents, that we're godly leaders, that we're good examples for them to follow. 
Another one with this, with bad leaders, Matthew chapter 21 with the money changers. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. How many know that's an exclamation point right there? It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Let me explain this text to you so you can grab this last point. Jesus is not saying, I am opposed to fundraisers, okay? Because I had one person come up to me when I was a youth pastor, and I had to do a ton of fundraising and all this to help keep the department going. And uh, this person came up and said, you can't do fundraisers. According to Matthew 21, Jesus is upset if we're doing anything with money in the church like this, and you can't do that. I said, no, no, you're missing the point. He's not opposed to that. He's probably more opposed to the fact that you don't give enough, so I have to do fundraisers. But no, I didn't say that. (laughs) I wanted to, but I didn't. Okay, so it's not opposed to fundraisers, okay? Some people have said, well, he's mad that they weren't praying enough. No, no, that's not what it was. Even though he mentions my house will be called a house of prayer, here's what he was quoting. He was actually quoting Isaiah 56, and this is what he said. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off, and foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord, and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant. Listen to what it says. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations." And here's what he was upset about. All these people from other nations that had converted to following God would travel long distances to come to the temple. And they had to give sacrifices of a dove or a lamb. And when they would get there, the priest would say, yeah, your lamb's no good. It doesn't pass the test. You get to buy one of ours. And so the priest had a little side deal going on. Matter of fact, the high priest owned the market. So here he is, the guy that should be the closest to God, and he's got a little deal. He says, you tell everybody that comes in here, their lambs are no good, their doves are no good. I know they travel from a long way, and they got to buy ours. And they charge them about 20% or 20 times the amount. Let's put this into real math for us today. If a cup of Starbucks cost you 4 bucks and you came to River Valley Church, if we were gouging you, we'd charge you $80 for your cup of coffee. And we'd say, well, if you want the anointing, you got to buy our coffee. You'd be like, I'm watching it live stream at Starbucks for four bucks. All right. But anyway, so put it in context. And they're gouging these people that are already poor. And they're saying, if you want to worship God, this is the way you got to do it. And Jesus was upset. He's saying, don't you understand what Isaiah was saying? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Everyone is welcome here. When they bring a sacrifice, their sacrifices are going to be accepted We are thrilled that they're worshiping God. We are not going to make it hard for them to be in touch with God. So how does that apply to us? Because we're not gouging people. It's free coffee here. You don't have to tithe if you don't want. You don't have to give. You can come. So how how can we do this? So I was researching this, and I found this by Pastor William Barkley. He said, in today's context, here's how we can make it hard for people to connect with God. We can have a spirit of bitterness, a spirit of argument, and a spirit of strife that gets into our church that makes worship impossible. We can be so at odds with others that there's something that they can feel. Do you know that we are responsible for the atmosphere of this church? We are responsible. When we come in and when we're mad, oh, they're sitting in our chair. I can't believe they're sitting. Don't they know we have the front row? 
give them the stink eye, like, what are you thinking? Sitting in my chair. You go out there in the coffee line, you're complaining, you're grumbling. We gossip, we complain, we don't confess when we have unforgiveness towards other people. And there comes just a, a closed spirit, a bitterness that makes it hard for people to come in. And people have said, you know what we love about River Valley? There's a good spirit here. There's a good spirit. It's good. We can feel it. And that's why we want to protect the unity so strong. That's how we can do it. We can just say, oh, look at them. Look at what they're wearing. Do you, who smells in our row? Do you smell that? <laughs> who smells? Who smells? Who wants to worship with that? And God says, make it easy for people to come to me. Make it easy. Pray. Prepare your hearts. Confess unforgiveness. Live what the word says. Do it so that worship is strong. Be somebody that enters in. Use your gifts and talents. Let's make sure that the, the nursery is filled with workers so we never have to say, oh, too many kids, we can't watch it because we don't have enough people. Let's make it easy for those people far away from God to connect with him. That's how we could apply this passage to us today. Bad things that bring out the exclamation points. Being lukewarm, having hypocrisy, being full of pride, being disobedient, or being bad leaders, making it difficult for people to come to God. If one of those hits you in just a minute, I'm going to ask that you come on up and take a knee. No one will ask you what it's about, but our prayer teams and our pastors will actually come and just lay hands on your shoulder and pray for you. We'd like to pray that you have a breakthrough. This is a moment where you get serious with God and you say, you know what? <sighs> They're there and they've got to go. I hear the anger, but I hear the sadness, and I want to get back on mission with you, God. Could you bow your heads? Lord, I pray right now that a spirit of conviction would fill this place and we would want to right now say, Lord, these things that we're convicted about, these things that make you pull out the exclamation point, we'd be convicted and repent of. Lord, if we've been lukewarm, we've just checked the box, we've just been comfortable, it's been an easy thing to follow you, just so easy. We never stretch ourselves. God, we repent of that. If we play the game and in our heart there's all sorts of wicked sins, but on the outside we look so good, we repent of that. If we're prideful and we think we're all that and we're so much better than the others in the church or we've got it all figured out and God's fortunate to have us, God, we're sorry for that. We've, we just ask forgiveness. If we've been disobedient, you've said to follow and we've said no. If you said to give and we've said no. If you said to submit and we've said no, God, we are sorry for our disobedience. And God, we repent of anything we've done as a bad leader that caused people to say, I don't want to be a part of that church. I don't want to know a God that causes people to live like that. So we repent. And lastly, I pray, Lord, for those that are new, that don't know you, that they'd be encouraged, be encouraged by this and say, God, I love that a church will address this. I love that a church wants their people to be closer to you so it makes it easier for me to follow. And I pray that that would speak volumes to them. But now I pray for a spirit of repentance just to fall in our church. Nobody pointing fingers. Nobody accusing others. Nobody wondering what somebody else has taken a knee for. But that we would just say, God, we humble ourselves before you. And we repent of the times you've had to use the exclamation point in a bad way in our life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.